You're listening to the Gov Future Podcast, highlighting discussions and insights around innovative technology impacting the public sector. Hear from experts working with and inside the government on ways that technology is shaping the future of the public sector. On this episode, what is the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office doing with AI-generated content and large language models such as ChatGPT or Google Bard? And how will this impact the U.S. patent process? In this episode, we speak with Scott Beliveau, who is the Branch Chief of Advanced Analytics and Lead Product Owner of Data and Analytics in the Office of the Chief Technology Officer at the USPTO about his thoughts and insights on this hot topic. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the Gov Future Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer. And thank you again for joining us on the Gov Future Podcast, which is our way of sharing with you some of the great insights and interviews that we are having with public sector thought leaders and those who are working to help transform government and innovation in the government and really adopt transformative technology. So really hope you can join us as we grow on this journey here. We're early into the Gov Future podcast series here, but we've got a lot to share with you. We definitely have a lot of great interviews queued up. So keep the subscribed Keep us part of your daily or weekly podcast listening ha- uh, habit. And really, we want to help focus our listeners and our GovFuture members that we want to want to key into some of these latest innovations and best practices to help you stay ahead of innovation in the public sector. Exactly. So if you're not familiar with our GovFuture community, GovFuture is the fastest growing community of government innovators, and you can learn more at GovFuture.com. We'll also link to that in the show notes. But for today's podcast, as we mentioned, you know, we always love to get to talk to folks in the government, the doers, and understand what's really going on. So we love interviews, and we're so excited to have with us today Scott Beliveau, who is the chief, the branch chief of advanced analytics and lead product owner of data and analytics at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Welcome, and we're so excited to have you with us today, Scott. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at USPTO. Oh, I was like, man, I'm a, a man of many hats at the US at the USPTO. Um, and generally, I think all of them um, sort of surround or, or touch in some way, shape, or form uh, on data and really constructive uses of that data to help facilitate our mission at the USPTO. So, you know, at the USPTO, our, you know, our mission is to the issuance of high quality patents and trademarks in a, in a timely manner, which help um, bring all the kind of the good things around you to life, uh, new innovations, you know, um, to that end, you know, those particular Innovations, actually, little known fact, is supports about 41% of our nation's GDP. And in my role um, within the, our Office of Chief Technology, it's how do I capitalize on America's innovation and the data surrounding that to bring better services um, and other use cases to our, our customers? Well, that's fantastic. And I think one of the great overlaps of USPTO in general with this whole idea of government innovation is that this is what the agency is all about. Ironically, the 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 whole purpose of the USPTO is to facilitate transforming innovations and making them valuable part of 
the economy. It's what it's like the USPTO is established in the very first article of the US Constitution. It's like in there before uh, the branches of government, from what I understand. So, <laughs> so it's very article key. article one. Yeah, very <laughs> key to make this so people don't realize how how important this is to the fabric of U.S. especially, but uh, for in general, this, this ecosystem. So getting into it a little bit more, because I know we're, we're talking about some of the transformative technology that's uh, being around and some of the great things we all see in public press and maybe our own experience. But of course, there are also some risks. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the risk side. So what risks have you previously seen from the adoption of transformative, transformative technology in the public sector in general? And maybe how can we take some of these lessons that we learned, perhaps the hard way, when looking to use some of these new emerging technologies, such as large language models, AI-generated content, in, in what we want from our public sector interactions. Yeah, so I think, you know, I, I try to categorize the risks in, into three buckets for, you know, for, for the time being. One being uh, trust, the other being transparency, and the third being truthfulness. You know, a lot of time, you know, in looking at our role in the public sector, it's, in, you know, in uh, all of us in, in public sector have different roles, missions, responsibilities, as it were, um, you know, it's extremely important and lives sometimes are, you know, at stake when it comes to, you know, making decisions. So in making decisions and looking at things like large language models, you know, oftentimes what we'll see is large language models may be full of bias. They may be trained on data that, you know, we, we don't know where it came from. You know, it may not be from reputable sources. You know, it may be, you know, either intentionally or unintentionally um, malicious. But as, as our role as, you know, public servants, it's extremely important for us to, you know, maintain the, the trust in the public. So when we say, you know, we think there's a storm coming or, um, you know, this, you know, particular drug, you know, is beneficial, that you're able to trust that message. They trust that source. The second part of that is really transparency. You know, when we're making decisions in the public, you know, as well as, you know, the entire IP system fundamentally is is really based on trust and transparency because, you know, someone ex in exchange for explaining your idea, you get you can get an exclusive right for that. And then you are, people build upon that um, particular aspect of it is you really need to know what goes into it um, and having that openness to know that, yes, you know, not only do I trust this, but I... I track, I, I understand, I follow the facts that led to that particular decision. And then the finally is truthfulness. I mean, it, it's very, you know, a lot of the models that, you know, we, we've seen and they're getting, they're getting better every day um, really are, you know, they sound truthful. <laughs> they sound very truthful um, and are sometimes very convincing versus um, going back to you know, uh, something like Eliza back in the, uh, the, the 70s, 80s. Um, it sounded a little quirkier. Um, so it's really, you know, the risk is knowing that an information or, you know, a decision or, you know, a basis for a recommendation, you know, has a solid foundation on it, it's, you know, such that, you know, people can make good decisions based on it, you know, in their lives. Yeah, you know, I like your three T's. I also like your Eliza reference <laughs> for our listeners that don't know about Eliza. It was very one of the original AI chatbots. 
So, you know, USPTO has taken a stance that not many other agencies have with regards to use of large language models. So in what ways, if any, are you seeing government agencies using large language models such as ChatGPT and BARD? And maybe can you share with our listeners, you know, what decisions the USPTO has made on use of that and why? So I think a lot of agencies right now are still, or they're kind of taking a very cautious approach. And it's, you know, it's a rapidly moving technology, I think, as we're, we're all well aware of, that the policy, you know, governing or sort of the guardrails for the particular uses haven't quite been established yet. So as a result, a lot of the use cases, um, certainly looking at them, tend to be a little more of the customer service oriented, you know, looking at trying to information, um, more efficient information retrieval. Um, you know, I had a someone was telling me an example of trying to, you know, if you have a large amount of documentation on uh, maintaining, you know, tanks or something like that, um, being able to help facilitate or go through that information more quickly um, has been the use cases. So, you know, within the USPTO, you know, and I think it's, in our unique role um, overseeing, you know, at least a portion of intellectual property, there's a lot, there's definitely a lot of concern um, with respect to, you know, our use of it from number one, I'm going to say, you know, we're not sure about when people are, you know, we're using these models, particularly ones that are are publicly accessible, that um, the information trained necessarily respected intellectual property rights. Um, you see that in Europe right now, where uh, some there's some cases or some discussions going on that um, the disclosure of copyrighted material in the models is going to need to be required. So we're not quite sure if the, you know some of these things respected those intellectual property rights. So it's it's a little on the nose for for our agency in respecting and protecting intellectual property rights would use it. Um, and then the other certainly is the you know we have a. We don't want a scenario in which, you know, somebody's, you know, real whole life, you know, dream of being an inventor in their garage that, you know, they're using a, one of these technologies and it slips out and their intellectual property then becomes part of someone else's, you know, language model and repeated to another person. So our, you know, in our sort of look within our agency, we've taken sort of, you know, I think as you said, the bold measure to actually say we're, we don't want people to use it. Um, our employees, as well as our contractors, have, are being basically have been told that under existing policy for our rules of the road um, usage of internet, that it is not, it doesn't fall within that particular scope or boundary of, of a safe, effective use for us. Um, that's not to say we're not experimenting with it um, in sandbox environments to try, you know, because we certainly are. Um, because we'd be amiss to not take advantage of these innovations ourselves. Um, But we're trying to do so in a manner that, you know, is is sort of safe, effective, and and goes back to those, you know, those three T's, uh, as you mentioned. Yeah, it's sort of interesting because, you know, we've been covering AI for such a long time. Some of our GovFuture listeners might recognize our voices because we talk about AI a lot on things like the AI Today podcast. But for sure, 
that, you know, the biggest things like it feels like we've reached some sort of tipping point. You know, it used to be that we all, you know, AI has been simmering in the background since the beginning of computing, the beginning of the 1950s. But we've sort of crossed some point of having a sort of critical mass, maybe, of well enough trained models that can do things that are pretty, pretty good that it's starting now actually to find that the challenge is just being creative enough to think about, well, how can I apply this? Because if you can think of that creative application, the tools are basically there now to do it. So interesting that the tipping point uh, has been reached from that perspective. We're nowhere near the singularity, so I'm not going to talk about that tipping point. But actually, it does bring up the ideas because people are starting to come up with all these really interesting and creative ways that they, of course, start to blur those lines. And of course, these are ethical risks, the things we talk about you know, a lot when we're trying to make good use of technology. So maybe we could talk about some of the ethical risks, some of the things you've been seeing around these tra- transformative technologies and you know, how you've already expressed it a little bit, but like, you know, how the government is working to address these risks and maybe areas that you think we can do a little bit better uh, here, especially in the short term. Yeah, and I think you know, some of it... Well, <laughs> In terms of the, you know, the perface, the pervasive nature of it, I usually use my, you know, my mom um, as a good example. When my mom is asking me, you know, my mom in Rhode Island, um, you know, <laughs> is asking me about it. Who's still a little scared of computers, um, admittedly, but when she's asking me and talking about it, it sort of hits that zeitgeist moment of like, oh my goodness, you know, like how it really is. Is this real? This is really that tipping point of a thing. Um, so, you know, like looking, so looking back at someone like my mom, you know, the concern is, you know, as, as a government, you know, as, as a government official employees, like what is the role of government in society as it comes to protecting someone like my mom? She's not techno, you know, she's not necessarily the most technically savvy person on things. So when we have, when we start having these, you know, some, some of these dialogues about, oh, we're going to move up to higher value work. Well, that higher value, you know, not everyone is always going to move up to higher value work. You know, we always make this assumption that, you know, and uh, I can't remember the uh, the fallacy term of, you know, we make an assumption, well, because there were horse-drawn carriages and those went away to cars, that sectors of society moved forward to other higher paying value things. It's some, you know, is that going to be true moving forward, you know, in, in terms, and that's sort of that, ethical kind of question that, you know, I certainly have concern about. I think in our, in our panel, we talked about, um, we talked about um, maybe it's job segment killers, you know, but (laughs) that's still, that doesn't give, you know, like me a warm, fuzzy feeling when I think about people like my mom, you know, (laughs) being part, one of those people who are in the, you know, the, the segment, you know, the killed segment. So as a government, you know, in government, how do we make, or how do we, you know, certainly promote the use of these disruptive technologies in a way that doesn't become a company by company arms race, as it were, to new products, um, you know, amongst each other for market share and taking a step back as to, you know, the more fundamental fungible use of this technology. Because as you said, you know, are, you know, how much further are we now, right now, it's very easy and helpful for information retrieval. You know, and, and, you know, we're trying to come up with ideas for um, new ways to use this technology. But at what point does then the technology get to the point where it's coming up with it? We can ask it for its use cases. How do you think we should use you? 
Um, I'm sure if you asked one of the models right now, it would have some suggestions. <laughs> but those suggestions are based primarily on what it's learned from other models, um, as it were. Yeah, and you know the funny thing is, is, is for a long time, you know, people have been wrestling with this issue of is AI a job killer? And you know, for a lot of you know, folks, will think, well, you know, we there's this is sort of what happens with technology. It's like always waves of new technology, industrialization. It causes disruption, but there's always like it, it frees us up to do other things, and those other things create a bunch of new jobs, right? I think the challenge we face is that now I'm I'm kind of wondering a little bit about that because AI is such a broad technology that it's not just machines to do weaving or you know machines that can harvest faster or things like that. It's literally got such broad application that it's impacting so many categories at the same time. I actually just uh, read this week that uh, Wendy's is uh, testing replacement of all their drive-throughs right now with a chat GPT based um, a chat bot, which of course does a much better job than the previous um, chat agents. And um, people are not responding to that in a positive way uh, or an excited way. And there's other things like that. And, you know, I, I think, you know, what role do government agencies have? Is it possible to even stem the tide, you know, or is it, um, you know, is there some, you know, it definitely requires moving uh, at a at a more faster pace in terms of not waiting for the economic impacts to happen because that it might be too late. Uh, then there's more philosophical discussion, but you know, no, oh, definitely, you know, and I think back to the, you know, those old, I think it was MCI or or some or commercials where it's like, well, you know, what what TV shows do you have? And and it was I've got every TV show and every channel and instantly. When the guy went to the motel, you know, and thinking back, you know, as when my son was growing up, when he when he first went to the movie theater, his first reaction is, "Why isn't it starting? I'm I'm telling it to start. I have to watch these." So, you know, that idea, that concept or construct, you know, while it's not AI based, and you know, it's a little more technological, technologically, you know, deep from it, is it is it convenient for us to have instant video on demand of anything we want? Yeah, sure. Is it? Is it a good thing? Well, we're certainly watching more TV. Are we? <laughs> we're not necessarily watching more good TV. We're spilling that space. Um, you know, so when we look at, you know, that is maybe an analog to, you know, some of the AI technologies as they move forward. Are what are we going to fill that extra time with? Are we going to fill it with, you know, we're all going to start going to the gym and exercising like we say we we should? Or are we going to spend it on watching more more videos on demand? Yeah, I yeah. think I think that that's a big question, right, Kathleen? We talk about this all the time. Yeah, you know, and I was going to say too. It, it also goes back to the uh, panel that you were on, and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes in case anybody was not able to attend the April 2023 Gov Future Forum that we had, where Scott was on the panel. But you know, these are really great and wonderful conversations to be having and making sure that we are addressing that. I know on the panel, we had also talked about the use of ethical and responsible AI and putting guidelines in place. Uh, you know, there's there's not really like laws right now around that, but how are we going to be crafting that and who's coming up with that? And are some of those, you know, guidelines that we put in place, maybe eventually laws going to say, we cannot have mass unemployment because of AI and various technology, but we're going to need to keep these jobs, keep people employed, keep them working, you know, because it is one thing to 
to have more free time, but then it's another thing to have too much free time, right? If yeah. like in Wally. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right. Um, yeah. You know, and, and to the, you know, and not to, you know, to expand upon that point a little, a little bit as well, it's, you know, AI is certainly global. You know, so, you know, I, I think this was also touched on the panel. Um, you know, our policies may or may not put us in a competitive disadvantage via other comp- other countries. Is that a good thing? You know, I mean, that maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, it sort of depends a little bit on, you know, some of the questions on, you know, the deeper questions on society as a whole, you know, and how we want to, you know, manage the role of technology within society. But, I, you know, and I think it's, have the, are these questions new? Certainly not. You know, I mean, they've been going on for a while. But I, I think what's, to me, which is sort of interesting is, you know, I go back to IBM Watson, you know, beating Ken Jennings. It was a big, it was an exciting thing. There was a lot of talk about it for a few months, and then it kind of died down. This, you know, to me, using my mom as sort of my uh, my barometer, as it were, the fact that she's talking about it tells me this is maybe, maybe this is a deep time for some of those deeper conversations um, on the role of technology, because we're getting closer to that precipice um, than maybe we were comfortable doing, <laughs> or we've gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves, um, you know, vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis how society, ethics, et cetera. Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting and kind of bringing it back to this idea of, of government and what the purpose of public sector is. And, you know, really the, the, the purpose of government is to like facilitate, you know, all the things that people want out of their lives and to be there for, which kind of brings back that, you know, the very first article in, in the Constitution, which are all, you know, to, to all those laws that are necessary and proper. And, you know, thinking about sort of AI and all this and how it's transforming society actually puts the government and, you know, people, public sector agencies around the world in a very central position to think about not just what should be allowed and what should be regulated and what should be controlled and what should be common, what should be free, what should be open and what should be proprietary and what should be protected. That's what that's what the USPTO is all about, giving people that protection because that gives them the ability to invest and have some confidence that what that they're not putting something out there that will be taken or stolen or used for other purposes. But a lot of these AI things blur those lines. You know, if I'm building my own, if I'm fine graining training a chat GPT model to do something specific, do I own that? Do I have any ownership stake on that? Does chat GPT own it? Is it open? Is it protectable? Is that good thing? Is that a is that a not, not a good thing? I think there's a lot of questions. A lot of questions that remain to be open. I think you're actually in a, in a great agency at a great time <laughs> to be thinking about <laughs> some of these things, right? It's always a good time to be at the PTO. No, yeah. no. <laughs> shameless plug for the PTO. Yeah, shameless plug. Shameless. <laughs> uh, you know, so Scott, this is a wonderful conversation. We had a wonderful conversation at our Gov Future Forum event, too. Uh, but we we like to wrap up this podcast by asking you, what do you see or hope to see as the future of technology and innovation in the government? And we'll let you answer that however you'd like. Oh, uh, I was joking before, you know, I, I would love I'd love a good cup of coffee and uh, in the future of government <laughs> would be nice now. But I, I think, you know, from and this is sort of speaking personally, that having sort of a better coordinated effort within within federal government as to this particular technology would be 
I think extremely helpful. And where, you know, I think, you know, there's certainly agency, there's certainly committees and there's certainly policies and other things being developed. What I, I think what we need to really look at is this construct of a national like X prize research challenge to really take some, identify some key core technologies um, that we see as strategic and then craft this challenge to be specifically to enable or empower small businesses and startups. And the reason I say small businesses and startups is because that's really where we see a lot of that challenge innovation coming from. Now, where is the gap there? A gap seems to be you've got a basically this huge inequity in compute where with a small business just doesn't have access to it. They may have a great idea or they don't have this real, you know, huge trove of massive trove of data um, going on. And, you know, and there's certainly, you know, policy discussions about sort of trying to create that within the federal government. But, you know, they're not focused. We're not focusing that effort on a common challenge across across the board within the agencies. So say that the next part is clear policy, like what's what's within the regulation guardrails what's not you know because anytime you're going to bring anything to market that uncertainty um certainly becomes an, an impediment to it and then the final as like the final part really is procurement procurement reform within the federal government such that when these companies come up with these cool ideas we're able to take advantage of them quickly you know, more quickly and readily within the federal government to be able to provide you know, that benefit back to the large, you know, the larger public. And I think the role of government, you know, as Ryan, you were saying, is good at these sort of big things, you know, getting big, you know, big compute, getting big accesses to data pile, making them available to, you know, constituents and helping to sort of frame that problem question, you know, that big challenge as, as it were, um, would be something I'd hope, I'd hope to see. Well, great. Well, we, we we do too. And I think a lot of our listeners who are government innovators across the whole ecosystem, which includes startups that are building things that may be good for the public good to the very largest of corporations, to multinational organizations, and agencies. We know we have a an international audience. So we encourage our international audience to reach out to us. Let us know. We love hearing from, from our podcast listeners. And Scott's fantastically open as well. So we reach out to us, reach out to Scott and provide your feedback. Uh, but you know, we could definitely spend hours on this and when we when we will. And in one way or another, we will spend all this time. But I do want to be mindful of our podcast listeners' time. So I want to Thank you, Scott, so much for being on our Gut Future podcast and sharing your insights and experiences and thoughts with our audience. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great time. Yeah, thank you so much. We always enjoy talking to you and the conversations that we have. And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Also, make sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already. We have lots of uh, interviews lined up and we're excited to share them with you. So subscribe so that you get notified of all of them. And if you're not already, you should consider being a GovFuture member so that you can take advantage of all that the community has to offer, including access to a diverse network of government innovators, opportunities to collaborate with government agencies, exclusive access to events and resources, and also a platform 
to have a voice in helping shape the future of government innovation. Again, you can go to govfuture.com slash join to sign up and learn more. We've got great resources if you're looking to get more insights and details on a range of technology that we discussed in this podcast and other topics as well. Check out our resources, books, courses, checklists, explainer videos, webinars, and more at govfuture.com slash resources, tailored for our GovFuture listeners. Again, that's govfuture.com slash resources, and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. To view this episode's show notes, find additional episodes, subscribe to this podcast, and join the fastest growing community of government innovators, go to govfuture.com slash podcast. This sound recording and its contents are copyright GovFuture, all rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening to the GovFuture podcast and catch you at the next episode.